So good to see you. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I have been away for a couple of weeks, and I'm not away anymore. Rick, come on up here. <clears throat> um, we're not going to take a whole long time. Uh, we're going to get to Galatians 3. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think people are really interested in, in um, hearing about my, all of my gallivantings. But I thought you might have like a, a couple of words from uh, somebody who goes with me in these gallivantings. Um, uh, this little conference in India, it starts on Monday uh, at 1.30, I think. And there, there's teaching that goes on uh, until 8.30, 9 o'clock every day. You have some from Monday to 9.30, and then you start at 9 o'clock the next morning. And so it's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of, you know. And so um, Edgar, who is the host, um, suggested, and rightly so, that somebody come along with me. I do a lot of the teaching, but I don't do all of it. And the guy that come has come for two, the last two years is this guy, a Rick San Roman. And the fact that he and I are still friends is a miracle. Um, but but, it, but we, we are, and we have breakfast together. We have lunch together. We have supper together for like five straight. Can you imagine having to be with me that much? Well, this man is a saint. and um, handle the night session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of those too. So but anyway, uh, I wanted just to give, take about 10 minutes of your time, tell you some of this stuff, and I wanted to start with uh, Rick. He, does, he did six of the sessions over there. So Rick, what I want you to tell them is your impressions of what we do, where we do it, what's going on. Just give them your thoughts as a uh, layman. Okay, um, for, first thing, before I, I say anything else, let me thank those who prayed for us while, while we were there. Uh, because when you are over there, and first impression is you are never more aware of your need for God to show up. Because <laughs> you, you've uh, put it all out there on the line. There, there are strange things that happen, and then there are deliverances. Every, you know, the two times I've been, there are, there are deliverances that you cannot otherwise explain, but God showing up. So that's uh, that's that's the first first thing, and, it, and it's a great thing to do, and uh, and so I encourage you to consider that that kind of a an opportunity. Put yourself out there, get out of the shire, as uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's told us. Um, second impression, having having done this twice now, um, is that the pastors that that we were teaching have made a lot of progress. They're, uh, they're asking the hard questions, which is what happens when you teach Reformed theology to a group of people. As soon as you say God is sovereign, uh, all kinds of uh, questions arise, and, and so they, and they're asking and they're answering those, those questions, and, and it's, it's a good thing. They're, they're growing. So um, that's where we were. Hyderabad, India. It is uh, used to be the capital of a state. Now it's the capital of a new state. They actually took the state that it was in and split it in two. And uh, can you imagine, you know, just dividing a state in two? But that's the way they do it in India. So uh, that's where we were. Many of the pastors come from all over the all over the country. Uh, to get up to the top of India takes 28 hours by train. And Jimmy and I could get get to Hyderabad faster from here uh, by by air. So uh, those those guys, that's a humbling thing, and it, it's not the kind of train that uh, 
most of you know, it's not an easy train to ride. So it's a ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. So the last day that we're there, uh, the, the teaching is over, and they're handing out train fares. And these men are lining up to get these train fares. And I don't know how much they are. It's just a matter of rupees. And they are facing a 28-hour train ride back to wherever it is in northern India they're from. Yeah, so, so uh, that's, uh, India is a, a completely different, different culture. Don't drive there. Uh, 1.3 billion people, it, it is, uh, and it matches China in population. About 1% of that population, maybe a little less, are Christians. So, uh, but, but it's growing. It's it's All right, Rick, the, the last day, I mean, all we do is teach. There's nothing that goes on. We have a, the last on Friday, you have a question and answer period. And, and that's kind of interesting because as Rick says, they, they ask good questions. It's they're, you know, they, they've connected with what you've taught, but then they had this, um, did they call it the feedback time? Yes. Feedback. <laughs> which, which, uh, they, they, they come out of this, I mean, they come up and they grab a microphone and they, they're addressing the group, but they're saying things about um, what they've heard. Could you, do you remember any of that? Well, they, uh, you know, Jimmy and I didn't coordinate our speaking plans. And so, and we probably should have, well, you know, two times we haven't coordinated and it, and it worked out great. (laughs) (laughs) So so I think if we start, it'll mess up. So, uh, so Jimmy speaks one week on Ephesians one and it's about the father and the son, and he's working on two solas, and I'm working on the Holy Spirit. And so the pastors picked up on that. Wow, Jimmy did father and son, and Rick did the Holy Spirit. And uh, they uh, proceeded to, you know, come back with key learnings and things that they had, and and uh, that demonstrated that, that these guys are getting it. How many times do you think you heard we heard truth in, the, in that, in that feed, feedback time. Out of every one. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I'll, I'll give you just the best one. And I think you'll remember this one. This guy stands up. Um, he's probably my age. And he says, um, I am the, I don't know, bishop or something. Bishop of uh, 80 Methodist churches in, throughout India. 80 Methodist churches. And um, he said, I'm in conferences all the time. And this is the only conference where I can find, and this is his term, sound doctrine. (laughs) Uh, Did he not say that? Yeah, he said he was an Arminian for 40 years or something, and then he's not. (laughs) Not yet. But, I mean, it was that kind of, uh, again and again and again they're talking about we hear truth here. And, you know, um, as Rick said, I, um, I, I taught... Ephesians 1, one chapter of scripture for, you know, what is that, 14 hours or whatever it is. And they were, they were flabbergasted that somebody could spend that long on Ephesians chapter 1. And, and I said, this is nothing. All right, Rick, any, anything else you'd tell them about um, your experiences there? Well, I, I was uh, pleased to hear that, that there's actually a pastor making plans to to get a seminary education in the United States. They're trying to work out the details, and I, I think you know 
I, I think the drive is to try to get him to go back to India. When he, you know, when he do gets you remember the story the about the guy who named his son after me? Uh, you remember that? Well, that's the guy. He now wants to come to the States and go to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, which is a good seminary. But the yeah. conversation that we had with Edgar, and I, and I understand him, he, uh, Edgar is saying, you know, the, the brightest and the best leave us, and then they get over here, and they don't want to come back. So he said, I'm not going to be involved in raising any money for this guy um, until he commits himself to come back. And my little namesake is just running around out there the whole... Uh, <laughs> yeah, how, how old is he? Four, maybe? Four, four or five years four, old. Yeah. I gave him some rupees, and I don't know how many, but it was a, it was a <clears throat> thing. It's all play money, you know. It, it, it doesn't really... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any, any parting shot? All right, Rick. Thanks, brother. Let me tell you, um, Rick San Roman pays his own way. Uh, He buys his own ticket. He takes his own week of vacation um, to go do this. And um, he is is probably one of the most knowledgeable and erudite laymen I've ever met. Um, You know, when when they pick you up in the hotel in the mornings, um, by the way, we, we changed hotels We've been standing in these dumps for 10 years, and they finally found a place that's worthy of my, uh, 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 my, my presence. <laughs> it was $71 a night. $71 a night, and that included breakfast. And the breakfast was grand. The breakfast was worth 12, 15 bucks, and it cost us 71 bucks a night to stay in this place. Um, and it was, it just, it really kind of makes a huge difference, but you know, they, they pick you up and, and then you've got to drive to this compound, which is an hour away and, and in traffic, it's an hour and 30 minutes. And when, when, when I say traffic, like I've said this to you before, you will, you, you cannot, you cannot imagine what this is. It's just this tangled up, you know, people, you know, in America, you've got these people going this way and these people going this way, and everybody stays on their side, not over there. I mean, it's just, oh, okay, I, I, I can get around that way. And so they're just, I mean, they just show up aiming at you, you know, and, and everybody honks their horns and just, you know, it works out. So, I mean, you know, there's this one bridge that you got to cross, and it is clogged every time, every time. And you're just, well, I wonder how long we're going to be here. And then this big bus moves all of a sudden, and you know it's kind of like you. I won't say that. I mean, it, things just get start flowing. You know, it's just, and it's like it's it's amazing. It, uh, but anyway, my point is, it's a long drive back over there and back every day. You know, and um, and, and and Rick and I talk that entire time. And the the big thing is, I mean, for those of you who are interested in matters such as these. Um, the conversation was, is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? <laughs> How do you like that conversation? But I mean, it, we talked about that for hours. Uh, but it was just a joy being with the guy. He is, um, uh, he's a very bright man, very bright. Um, and, and this whole idea of, uh, Rick used a term that maybe you, you've never, you might have, you'd use your finger, didn't you? They never told me that. <clears throat> um, he used the term um, solas. Um, 
that I did, when the Protestant Reformation occurred, the theology that came out of the Protestant Reformation was summarized under five solas. That's a Latin term which means alone. Um, Faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, grace alone, and God's glory alone. Those are the five solas. So Edgar had asked me to do the five solas, um, and that's what I've done. And this year, he didn't know I was going to do this, but um, uh, I combined two of them because I, I, I found them being taught in Ephesians 1. That um, uh, blessed be God who has um, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, who, he who hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the earth. He in him, it was all through that chapter. God in Christ, you know, so I combined the last two solas and so it was on the Father and the Son. And so now I've completed my commitment over there and I don't ever want to go back. Um, but, <laughs> um, but that's what, that's what the solas he's, he's talking about. And, and, then, and then the idea that he did the Holy Spirit and, and these guys picked up on that, that, you know, we have had Trinitarian theology here for a week. It was, it was, um, it was very honestly, guys, um, you work hard, you, 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 you you teach all day and you're just kind of, okay, I'm ready to get on the plane and get out of there. And I was, I was, I'm ready to go. I've had enough. Um, let me just get on the plane and get out of here until the feedback session. And that was moving. Was it not Rick? It was, it was um, I mean, here's a man saying, you know, I go all over the country trying to find somebody to teach me, and this is the only place I can find some sound doctrine. I mean, that was, that was just touching for me. Um, and they, and they, they, well, like Rick said, they asked the right questions. And, and so that's it. That, that's all I want to tell you. Um, I did not see any cobras. Uh, we, uh, we've, we're beyond the cobra stage, uh, I, I think. Um, the cobras are out in the villages. And, and I went to the villages one year, and, um, and I swore off villages uh, ever since. So I go from, I go from the, the Taj Deccan. Uh, that's the, the hotel. It's called the Taj Deccan. This is kind of interesting. Um, this Taj Deccan has a big backyard. I mean, oh, gosh. It, it's, it's four times the size of this room. And they have, it's an event. They have events back there. So, you know, you've got, you've got your curtains that close and you open them up and there's the, there's the backyard and there's these events. I guess every night or was it maybe not every night? Just about every night they had an event back in my backyard. And they start their events at 9 o'clock. And they finish their events about 3 a.m., is that not true, Rick? I mean, they had weddings that started at nine o'clock and they finished at three o'clock. I mean, I'd get up to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, old men do that a lot. Um, but I'd get up and go to the bathroom and I'd open the curtains and they're still going at three o'clock in the morning. I'm saying, you people stop it. You know, go home. But other than that, it was a, it was a great place. And um, I'm glad that I have committed, uh, finished my commitment. Um, uh, he's already talking about my coming back in 2017, and I would be 69 years old traveling to India. There's got to be a law against that somewhere. <laughs> if that's not in the Bible, it ought to be. <laughs> don't, you, don't you agree? All right, speaking of the Bible, why don't we take a look at it? Let's, um, let's go to Galatians chapter 3, and, and I, I just want to cover one verse with you tonight. Um, 
<laughs> well, I mean, uh, I actually, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this to try and be lengthy. I'm doing this because this is the kind of verse that I really, that I really love to treat because it, it runs so contrary to the grain of our culture. And, and I'll show you what I mean. Um, but I mean, it's like what you're about to read would never happen in the 21st century evangelical church. This would never happen. Nobody talks like this anymore. And, and, I, and I, think we're, I think we're the ones that suffer when people don't talk like this. Let me just read you the first verse. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, guys, let me, let me just kind of restate that in, in, the, in the vernacular. What if I were to stand up here and you knew that I was angry? I mean, not angry, just angry, but angry at you. I mean, I'm angry at you. And I stood up here and I said, you bunch of fools. Who's bewitched you? What would you do to me? But that's what's going on here, ladies and gentlemen. Dare I say it? Paul is angry. And he calls them fools. You wouldn't stand for that. I mean, is that, is that allowed anymore? Is this kind of firm conversation between a pastor and his flock, is that allowed anymore? No, it's not allowed. It's not, it's not permissible. Because, I mean, well, you know, that's very, that just really hurt my feelings, what that pastor said to me, you know. And, by, and, and interestingly, he's angry not because they rejected him. It, it, I mean, I think you can see this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who is, but that you should not obey the truth. It, it's, it's not an issue of, oh, y'all have treated me so bad. The issue is I'm upset with you because you have, you have, you have deserted the truth. Is that okay to do anymore? Can a preacher, can a pastor be upset with people when they, when they butcher the truth? Is that all right? It's all right here. So much so that he, he calls them fools. You would not sit idly by for a preacher to call you a fool. But ladies and gentlemen, when you, when you depart from a position of truth, you know what you are? You're a fool. And you've been bewitched. Somebody is, has blown smoke in your face and you bought into something that is just Harmful, downright harmful. I want to I show you something. Um, I, I want you to go there with me. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> um, I'd love to read a lot of this to you, but I, we, we, I don't want to take your time. Um, 
Um, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that the Corinthian church is pretty problematic. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, that's all he does is deal with problems. He's dealing with all kinds of issues with, you know, they did this wrong and they got drunk at the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper. <laughs> Remember that? They got, they got drunk at the Lord's Supper and he has to correct them. Well, um, then he comes to the second letter. By the way, he, he probably wrote three letters to Corinth, but this is the only two that are, that are uh, canonized. Um, but in the second one, he's got another little problem. There's a guy who slept with his father's wife. Just a small problem. Small problem. Got slept with his uh, stepmother. Eh, a big deal. Uh-huh. So Paul takes this on. And um, um, verse 1, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is it that makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Do you get that logic? I don't want to make you sorrowful again. Because I want to come to you and I want you to make me glad. But how, am I, how are you going to make me glad if I made you sorrowful? That, that's what he's... But then keep reading. Now just two more verses. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Now here's what I wanted you to see. Verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand this logic? Paul writes him a blistering letter. And he said, um... When I wrote it, it was in affliction and anguish of heart. I wept over you with many tears. And I didn't write it so that you'd be grieved. I wrote all this hard stuff to you. Look at what the apostle says, ladies and gentlemen. I wrote all this hard stuff to you so that you'd know just how much I loved you. Here's the principle, ladies and gentlemen. The one who loves you the most is the one that will tell you the most truth about yourself. Do we still believe that? I mean, do we? The one that loves me the most is... I understand that you, there's, a, there's a way to, that the, the truth must be spoken in love. I, I, I get that. But guys... Do we want to be confronted like this when we've disobeyed the truth? Guys, um, <clears throat> this is, I probably shouldn't tell you this. If my wife were here, I, I wouldn't be telling you this. But uh, I was driving around with a preacher one time, a preacher I like. He's a fellow preacher, friend of mine, driving around and and um, he made this statement. He's, oh, we were talking about a, a problem that was going on in the church of which he was the pastor. And it was uh, two people in the church were having an affair. <laughs> yeah. This is what he said. He said, um, if I'm lying, I'm dying. 
He said, um, what's a little adultery among Christian friends? <laughs> what's a little adultery among Christian friends? Tell me this. Let me just, just how do you think that compares with this? <laughs> I mean, um, do you think it would be okay if if the pastor gave the little couple a, 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 a phone call and said, you're a fool. Tell me who's bewitched you. And they say, um, well, I don't want you talking to me like that. And we say, but don't you understand the principle? That he who loves you the most is the one that will tell you the most truth about yourself. Oh, but I don't believe that anymore. Well, do we, ladies and gentlemen? Do you want somebody telling you the truth? I mean, is, is, or, or will you have, would you rather be pampered? And, and now that's what I meant when I said, I love to teach these little texts like these. Because this is just, this, this goes against the grain of everything that happens in the 21st Evangelical Western Church. No pastor talks to his people like this. They wouldn't stand for it. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've got a, I got a, I got a suggestion. I think I don't think the truth is as important to us as it was to the Apostle Paul. But but let me let me say this, guys. I I can tell you. I believe that principle. I don't know whether you believe it. And, and, um, and I'm not here to tell you that I'm right and you're wrong. But I believe that principle. And the principle is, the one who loves me the most is the one who will tell me the most truth about myself. Ultimately, if we don't share that principle, um, we'll probably cross swords over something. But here's the pastor, the pastor, the pastor of pastors, the Apostle Paul. And, and by the way, this is so interesting to me. Um, in, in chapter 1, verse 11, but I make known to you brethren, or brothers, brethren is a Methodist word, um, but I make known to you brothers, but you come to Galatians chapter 3, he doesn't call them brothers anymore. He calls them Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. He didn't call them brothers. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't, that he didn't believe that they're brothers, because I believe he does believe that. But this man is ticked. This is a pastor who loves people, but their sin has grieved him. Is that okay with you? Is that tolerable anymore? Or would we rather all just say, what's a little adultery among Christian friends? <laughs> I mean, you got to have a little affair. <laughs> I mean, who isn't? I mean, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Get in a big church so that you can really find some nice looking women or men? Is that what you want? Because I'm telling you, this pastor, this guy here, I wrote you with heaviness of heart with many tears, not so that I could grieve you but that you would know 
just how much I loved you. He's doing the same thing with the Galatians. You fools. That's an ugly word. People don't like to be called fools. They don't like to be called stupid. Um, he didn't call them stupid. He did say they were bewitched. That's almost worse. I think I'd rather be called stupid than, you know, who blew smoke at you and made you into some kind of devil? That's what verse one is, ladies and gentlemen. That's, I mean, now there's a little couple of little truth items I want you to see, but, but, I, but I, I want you to understand there's, a, there's something else at stake about a pastor and his relationship to the people. That the, um, the thing that should make his heart heavy is the uh, role of and commitment to and love of and living out of truth. Anything besides that, ladies and gentlemen, and you're wasting your money paying me a salary. You need to get yourself some kind of party organizer. But the role of the pastor is to be confronting people over what they're doing about the truth. Now, that's the, I'll move on, but um, I, I want you to notice, oh foolish Galatians, who is to be with you, that you should not obey the truth. You understand that the truth is to be obeyed, don't you? Um, the truth is not simply to be known, um, you know, to be, um, you know, to make us a whole lot more intelligent than everybody else. Um, and, and that's, by the way, one of the real dangers of Reformed theology. And, and all of you know how Reformed theology is and how important it is to me, how, how much I love Reformed theology. I, I do, I love it. But I'm telling you, there's nobody that gets puffed up uh, about what they know about truth like Reformed people. Uh, but truth is not something that's supposed to uh, make you smarter. Well, it is. it does make you smarter. It's supposed to be instructive. You know, I said this Sunday and my wife got all over me because I used some words that she doesn't like me to use. And, and I, I'm sorry. Um, what can I tell you? Um, but this thing, this principle in John 14, when, when, when Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. I don't know that I made that point very well. It's not that anyone who loves me, who knows my words, Anyone who knows me studies my words. Anyone who knows me discusses my words. Anyone who knows me keeps them. Now you got to know them first. But the words are to be kept. I mean, wouldn't you agree that that's just a synonym for obeyed? I don't give a flip about what you know. Very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us are living way beneath what we know. We know a whole lot more than what we're living. But, but Paul understand, or Paul is pointing out that these people have taken the truth and not only have they, they departed from it, but they don't obey it. The words of Jesus are to be learned and then kept the truth is something to be known and then obey. Obey the truth. Um, anything short of that, ladies and gentlemen, is sub-Christian. The truth is to be at the center. I mean, guys, very honestly, um, 
it, it is it is always the truth. I mean, it, I mean, people people are converted by first hearing the truth. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of faith, <clears throat> by the word of God. It, it, that's how that's how it all starts is is uh, an exposure to the truth of the gospel, but then from there, what we have is a lifetime of figuring out the words of Jesus and going out and living them somehow. If you're not trying to figure that out some way, you're 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 a phony, and you're just playing at this stuff. This 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 truth stuff is supposed to instruct us, inform us, and then shape the way we live and all our decisions and all our positions, um, which is a point I tried to make Sunday morning. and didn't make it very well, I don't think. But um, <clears throat> Okay, but let, let me make just a couple other things and I'll quit um, so that we can get on before the, the snowstorm. Um, <clears throat> oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Um, the the one, th- uh, one, another thing that I'd like you to just to realize, I, I would suggest to you that Paul is addressing Christians. I think that's clear from chapter one, verse 11. I think it's clear throughout the whole book, but then the Judaizers come into Galatia and they just mess everybody's minds up. <clears throat> and then these people who are genuinely converted are are off on some tangent that is a betrayal of the gospel, okay? But here's my point. Do you see just how flawed a converted person could be? Um... Do you see just how mistaken a converted person could be? So much so that the Apostle Paul would call you a fool. (laughs) There's a lesson there, guys. There's a lesson there for us. Uh, Sanctification is a process. You remember, I've I've, I've shown you this before. You know, you get converted here, but then, you know, you you don't die until up here. And this whole thing in between is this, is this thing called sanctification. It's a process. But that line is really misleading. It shouldn't be drawn like that. Because th- that's to suggest that there's this steady trend upward. It should be drawn something like this. Because there are points in our Christian experience where if you were to evaluate me at that point right there, you would call me fool. Because of my desertion of the truth, it is it has led to such a, a, a horrible depression of my moral choices. But the Apostle Paul looks at a converted person and says, Are you some kind of fool? That you'd go out and live like this? But, but I think there's, what we're supposed to derive is that flaw is to be expected in all of us. Can, can I just tell you just a... Here's another thing I probably shouldn't tell you. 
Um, and it's all Rick Sinneroman's fault. Um, but Rick Sinneroman and I went to India and we, um, we did our little thing. But there was one experience that we had together. Um, <laughs> I won't go any further. Um, one experience that really was, oh, upsetting. I mean, um, what is going on in this, this, this thing? And it was, I mean, we went, we left there, went to the airport and all we could talk about is what we had just seen. And the best I can say in response to all that is flaw is something that we ought to expect. It ought not surprise. It ought not celebrate. We ought not celebrate it. Like, what's a little adultery among Christian friends? Hey, yay! They have enough an affair. <clears throat> but flaw ought to be expected, because, ladies and gentlemen, this this process of getting us into heaven is uh, has got all kinds of potholes to it. And um, the Galatians at this point are in one. And so, with some pretty stern words from the Apostle Paul, they're going to get out. But this kind of depression in the, in the upward uh, pursuit, it ought to be expected. In fact, I've even come to this conclusion that I'm expecting from this ministry in native something that I myself cannot even give or don't even give. It's a flaw. And it's a serious flaw. But it's one that we um, that we ought to expect in each other. Um, that that I mean, Paul sees it in this group, and it'll probably be true of us too. Okay, I've got two minutes. Um, just just notice real quickly um, that you should not obey the truth before and and. All of this goes on, all this bewitchment and all this foolishness and all this depression and immoral living, all this business that's going on, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. (laughs) You had all this exposure to the truth of the gospel and what did it do for you? Is this the best that it's going to produce? And so... That whole notion upsets the Apostle Paul. And when this is where we are, it ought to upset the rest of us. I'll tell you this one quick thing too, and we got to quit. But um, the word crucified there is found in the perfect tense. That's the same tense. Do you remember I made this big deal years ago about the word tetelestai? Uh, Tetelestai. When Jesus is on the cross and he said, it is finished. That's the Greek word to telestai. That's the word that he used. It's in the perfect tense. It's the same tense that that word's in, crucified. It's in the same tense, perfect. The perfect tense in the Greek language uh, means this. Um, It's an action that was begun and completed in the past that has present lasting benefits. When Jesus Christ said to telestai, that is, it is finished, it's an event that was completed in the past but its benefits still accrue to those in the future and in the present. 
That's the same tense that that word crucified is. Before whom your eyes, Jesus Christ, was portrayed very clearly as crucified. That crucifixion was done and completed in the past, but it still has lasting benefits for us even unto today. That's what the perfect tense is all about. But the, the alarming thing ought to be is that after so much clear exposure, so much clarity of gospel preaching in front of our very eyes, this is where we are. And for one pastor, that one, this is unacceptable. And so he comes and says, you're a bunch of fools that you would end up there after having heard all of the beauty of the gospel that you've heard. Um, that's why I love verses like this, ladies and gentlemen, because it's so contrary to what the evangelical world tolerates today. This is the standard, guys. Um, hopefully, you've got a pastor that loves you as much as this one loved them. Let's quit. Our Father, would you, um, would you show us again the great necessity of obeying the truth, um, enjoying all over again the great beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that what he's accomplished in the past is still having lasting present benefits for us and that we're still benefiting from what he, what he accomplished uh, at, at Calvary. Lord, might the beauty of the gospel and the great sacrifice of the Savior uh, compel us to a greater um, interest in holy living and a greater love for obedience. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name.